Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's news talk, TNT Radio. Lembit OPIC. You're listening to Lembit OPIC on today's news talk radio, TNT. Good morning, planet Earth, wherever you are. Welcome to TNT, the home of free speech, and me, Lembitopic, on the Lembitopic Show. Three hours of news and comment where we dig deep into the affairs of the day. My promise to you is to give you the facts and share some opinions, but to separate the two. All you have to do is think for yourself. That's what TNT is all about. Uh, coming up in this show, we have uh, the chief executive of the Freedom Association here in the United Kingdom. It's an organization set up over half a century ago to defend free speech. Boy, we need them now. Uh, Andrew Allison will join us and we'll be talking with him about what that organization does, what the threats to our civil liberties and freedom of expression are, and what we can do about them. We're going to do a deep dive into liberty. Uh, later on, we'll be talking to Nick Dock. She's a human human potential uh, consultant, and she will be talking about the factors that count in politics. Then we'll have a look at some of the mainstream leaders, people like the British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, and the man who would be Prime Minister Keir Starmer to see what's going right, and more importantly, what they're doing wrong uh, from her expert perspective. And then I'll be asking her the question, why the new wave of politicians and political parties in the United Kingdom, which are proliferating, perhaps as a response to the general dissatisfaction with the old god politicians. And after that, uh, we have Christine Hart, an absolutely outstanding commentator here in the United Kingdom and a journalist giving her unique take on affairs of the day. All of that with me, Lemon Opic, uh, in the next three hours. Uh, I want to start briefly by talking about weather, political weather and real weather. The political weather seems to be gathering in the form of storm clouds over Benjamin Netanyahu. He's actually getting criticism from his own side in terms of some of his uh, perhaps unstated objectives in his continuing conflict and military crackdown on Gaza. Most concerning of all for me is the storm that brews when Netanyahu tells us he's against a two-state solution. For most people, that's the only solution if the uh, Gazans and the Israelis are to coexist. By inference, anything else is the destruction of one or the other state. Surely we've moved beyond that in the 21st century. It remains to be seen what the consequences of Benjamin Netanyahu's approach is uh, and whether uh, he's actually going to make things worse, not just in Gaza, but for Israel itself, a country which seems to be losing supporters at a great rate of knots. I've never experienced a time when the general public has been more informed and more concerned about Israeli politics. And remember, we separate Israeli politics from the question of the Jewish faith. They're two different things. And it's perfectly legitimate to criticize Israel without being accused of anti-Semitism. Uh, those two things are often conflated, uh, but Benjamin Netanyahu should be judged as a politician, and many are judging him for that. So the weather's not looking too good for him there. Turning to the real weather, here in the United Kingdom, we have storm after storm, 40 centimetres of snow in the north of the British Isles. Not many people are talking about climate change now. Why is that? 
It's because people mix up weather and climate. It's a rod that the green movement has created for its own back by pointing at hot days and claiming this is a seismic shift in the weather. I make a prediction again, one I've made before. We're not going to have an overheated climate. We're going to enter a cooling phase because the biggest factor of all, more than anything else, more than ocean currents or human intervention, is the sun. The sun is going into what's called a grand solar minimum. Basically, it's going to cool down a bit for all the hand-wringing and the pointless self-abuse of our economies in the name of cutting the emission of carbon dioxide. The reality is that what we do doesn't really make much measurable difference at all. So we mess with our economies at our peril. And ironic indeed that even as we do, the world is using more oil as a whole than it's ever done. The West is essentially handling, handing uh, the global keys of the economy to what are called the BRICS countries, China, India, Russia, countries that have no real intention of cutting their carbon dioxide footprint, and nor should they. CO2 is our friend, not our enemy. And tomorrow, I'll be talking to a man who has revealed that this probably isn't the first time that CO2 is at current levels. It may have been at this level, wait for it, 200 years ago. So perhaps we don't have an emergency after all, except for the economic emergency that we've imposed on our own economies. Uh, I'd love to know your views. Go to the TNT website, get involved in the chat. When I've got time, I shall read your comments out. And if you've got questions for my guests, as much as I'm able, I will put them to my worth worthwhile and always fascinating contributors. All of that in this three hours with me on the Lembotopic Show right here on TNT. So uh, let's get on with our first guest, a man who I've known for some time and have increasingly learned to admire. It's uh, Andrew Allison, who is the head honcho, you might say, at the Freedom Association. Greetings, Andrew. Welcome to the home of free speech. So you should feel right at home here yourself, Andrew. Well, thank you for inviting me on the show, Lembert, and great to see you as ever. Well, you're looking very smart. Uh, you made an effort for us. And I note I, the I British flag. I did for <laughs> well, I note the British flag as well. It uh, it sets your your tie sets your hair off beautifully. Uh, let's start with your role. What do you do in the Freedom Association, and what does the Freedom Association do for Britain? Well, we've done all sorts of things over our almost fifty years um, since nineteen seventy five. I mean, in the, in the mid seventies, we we're trying to break break the trade union closed shop where people had to become a member of a trade union before they could uh, they could work in in certain industries. Uh, we've battled against ID cards over the years. We fought for Brexit um, and continued to fight for Brexit, obviously, until we actually did leave the, the European Union. But mostly what we're concentrating on now is free speech and freedom uh, of expression. Last October in London, we held a conference, How Can We con con Conquer Cancel Culture, which you spoke at as well. And it was a, it was a brilliant day. We, we had some fantastic speakers. Uh, and really, you know, free speech is in crisis uh, in the UK. And I'm not saying it's not in crisis elsewhere in the world, because it most certainly is. But I can only speak for, for the United Kingdom. And we're in a bit of a mess at the moment when it comes to free speech. And this is something that we're campaigning on vigorously. I very much enjoyed being there. And I think we can both agree that I did indeed make a, a brilliant contribution. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Maybe indeed. not the best. It, 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 everyone will be there. <laughs> 
Oh, it's very nice of you to say. Uh, I have to say, I was I was honoured to stand on the shoulders of giants, the likes of David Starkey and Nigel Farage, who both made fantastic contributions. And my old friend, Marc Francois, who's been a government minister, and he was actually a fellow student at the University of Bristol, where I uh, studied philosophy, actually. So uh, I felt very much at home there. I'd imagine a lot of TNT viewers and listeners would feel right at home in the Freedom Association, too. But it had some quite dramatic beginnings. Tell us about the the founder and what happened to him. Yes, well, we had a, a number of founders. There was uh, Norris and Ross McWhirter, Major John Gurrier and Viscount Delisle. Um, and they were all giants, really, um, of our movement. Um, though the IRA were at the height of their bombing campaign in, in 1975 and, and Ross McWhirter put out uh, a reward for the capture of, uh, of some of those IRA killers. Uh, and as a result, he was uh, he was gunned down and killed on his doorstep in, in North London. Uh, and that was just before the official launch uh, of the Freedom Association. It's about two or three weeks before uh, and that launch happened in December 1975. Um, it, things were so bad that uh, that Norris McWhirter, his twin brother, and um, when I say identical twins, I mean identical twins. Um, one could pretend to be the other very, very easily. Um, Norris had to have police protection um, for a while afterwards in, in case the, the IRA went for him. So that was the start of the Freedom Association. You know, usually tragic, horrific, um, but that's that, that's how it all started. I was about eight years old at the time, but I still remember when the surviving McWhirter was interviewed and asked, will you consider continuing your late brother's work? And I remember to this day, half a century later, he said, I have no choice. I have to. Mm. And here we are now, half a century later, with the uh, Freedom Association never being more important than it has been in the past. Let me ask you, why is freedom apparently in such peril these days? Is it because technology makes it easier for us to be spied on? Is it because the culture has changed somehow? Or is it that people don't, don't care about their freedom or perhaps politicians don't care about our freedom? I think it has more to do with certain groups, particularly on the left, who are trying to shut down debate. Uh, and we know that if, if you have a minor criticism of Islam, uh, you're called an Islamophobe. Indeed, Rishi Sunak was was accused of a, an Islamophobic trope in the House of Commons earlier this week because he told uh, a Muslim Labour MP, uh, Zara Sultana, that you know she should uh, call on Hamas and the Houthis to to have a ceasefire. And immediately that was an Islamophobic. I mean, no one could see what was Islamophobic about that, but they're trying to shut down debate in that way. It's the same with the trans debate. Uh, it's a very powerful lobby, the trans lobby. I mean, I don't know how many people are trans in the UK, but I imagine it's probably not even 1%. It's a tiny amount of people. Yet you could be forgiven for thinking if you're an alien and, and arrived in the UK that, you know, nearly half the population were uh, were, were, were trans, which, is, which, which isn't true. But as soon as you, you, you try to defend women's rights, particularly women's rights in, in sport, we know that men competing against women have, have a physical advantage. We know that, uh, that, that if you put a woman next to a man on, on a 100 on a meter sprint, the man will win it all the time. We know all of that. But if you start defending women's rights in that way, 
you're 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 called transphobic, and it's the same all over. It's, if you talk about the history of the British Empire, if you talk about slavery, um, they, they're constantly trying to well not just shut down debate, but 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 basically lie about what the British Empire did and what it didn't do. Um, they don't talk about how many sailors in the Royal Navy gave their lives to when it came to uh, uh, stopping the, 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 the transatlantic slave trade. So then there's a lot of lobby groups out there who are determined to rewrite history and make sure that nobody else can, can debate that history. When it comes to yeah. the politicians, well, I mean, what, have, we, have we ever come across weaker politicians in our lives? I mean, I mean, they're utterly awful, apart from a few notable exceptions. I mean, you mentioned one, Marc Francois, for example, and there's a number that I do know uh, that, that, that are very solid on, on these issues. But I mean, I mean, Keir Starmer, I mean, he's a charisma free zone. Uh, uh, Rishi Sunak is just a technocrat. I mean, I was writing earlier today that, um, you know, he must have wished he was in Davos last week because he really is a Davos man at heart, isn't he? Investment banker, hedge fund manager you know, rubbing shoulders with people who are even richer than him. But that's the sort of man that he is. He's not a politician. He's not a political leader. He doesn't inspire. Um, and and then we have Ed Davey, the, the leader of the Liberal Democrats, who apparently is intellectually as incurious as you can possibly get when it came to the post office horizon scandal and doesn't really... I mean, th these these people are truly awful. I mean, when I was growing up, just like... I mean, we're, you're a little bit older than me, Lambert, but not that much older. I, I mean, we remember some brilliant politicians, don't we? Real leaders, you know, with, with Thatcher and, uh, you know, like him, I love him, and I don't particularly like him. Michael Heseltine was a big beast. Um, you have Michael Foote, who wasn't a particularly great leader of the Labour Party, but was a fine parliamentarian in his own right. Dennis Healy, there was Barbara Castle... The list goes on and on. And these were heavyweights. These were serious people debating the serious issues that affected our country. And now all I see with the politicians is just a pile of point scoring off each other. Um, and they don't seem to believe in anything. And that's why I say it. They don't really believe in anything. And that's the problem. Uh, yeah, I, I want to, in uh, the next uh, section of our show, I want to talk about that specific malaise. I have a theory about what's gone wrong. And it's a theory which I've developed from my first-hand experience as a member of parliament for 13 years. And it surprised me because I altered my view about politics quite substantially when I was in politics. I used to think that we should have politicians who did no other job. Now I feel the opposite. And I'll explain why in a few minutes' time. Let me just ask you this, though, before we do go to our break. Uh, do you think that the current crop of politicians are capable of repairing our political system. And I ask that because uh, in the next hour, we'll be speaking to Nick Dark, who's a human potential expert, and I I'm pretty sure she's got strong views. But what are yours? Do we have people in charge who can reform? No, I don't think we do. I, I think I think we need a, a good clear out. Um, I think when it comes to the Conservative Party, which is the party I, I, I know the most, um, it's got to come back down to, to members selecting candidates um, and trying to make the Conservative Party probably conservative again rather than, the, than what it is now. But I think as long as you have the current leadership at the top, uh, I mean, can you really tell that much of a difference between Labour and, and, and the Conservatives? They, they, they try to really accentuate the differences that they do have, but they're not particularly great, certainly not this um, sort of Keir Starmer 
Labour-led Labour Party. Uh, and I imagine that most of the Conservative MPs uh, on the backbenches in the House of Commons would have fitted very, very easily and neatly into, into Tony Blair's new Labour Party. They're really... and. The, 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 we, we just need some po uh, politicians of conviction. You're Tony Benn. I mean, you served in Parliament when Tony, Tony Benn was there. And he used to speak about signposts and uh, windmills. Um, and it's true. You know, you, you get some politicians, as soon as they take some heat, uh, they, they just blow away in a different direction and change their minds. But the people you really respect are the signposts who actually stick to their guns. Tony Benn gave me some advice. Uh, I was thinking of suing somebody who was libeling me. And he gave me this advice. He said, Lembit, you should never wrestle with a chimney sweep. I went, what? <laughs> yes, you should never wrestle with a chimney sweep because if you do, you both end up covered in soot, which is a very good piece <laughs> of advice. Uh, stay with a us. Very wise man. <laughs> a very wise man. He, I, I worked out once with him that in his life he drank, he never drank alcohol. He drank 53,000 gallons of tea. I think tea doesn't do you any harm at all. Uh, stay with us, Andrew. I want to start. Uh, I want to share with you my theory of what's going wrong in British politics and see what you think of it. And then later on, we'll talk more about the ambitions of the Freedom Association for 2024. Uh, I want to know your views as well. If I have time, I'll read them out. Do go to the TNT chat. Uh, very easy to get into. And then you can join enjoy the dialogue and you'll get the most out of TNT if you uh, follow what's going on there as well. Uh, I'm Lempitopic. This is The Lempitopic Show. And this is TNT. TNT's Patrick Henningsen. Hamza Dahoud was the eldest son of the Gaza Bureau for Al Jazeera, while Dahoud, who previously lost other family members in Israeli bombing raid. And we would say that this is probably, in terms of conflicts, uh, this many journalists have been lost, uh, killed, injured in the whole of the Second World War, and that lasted. Uh, a number of years, and only in the last three months are we scraping a hundred on the uh, journalist uh, fatality list, which is coming fast and furious out of Gaza. Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk TNT. Our beautiful world is changing, withering, dying by the hands of those who don't value nature, even though we all depend on it for life itself. But there is hope. Together with caring friends, the Nature Conservancy can restore our lands, heal our waters, and save our wildlife with big solutions only nature can provide. But every day we lose more of the places we love, and we urgently need to save endangered lands, waters, and wild species. The actions we take today will determine the tomorrow we leave to our children and grandchildren. The water they drink, the air they breathe, the beauty they experience. To learn more about how you can help protect and conserve our beautiful world, visit nature.org today. When the world's endangered animals need help most, when their lives are at greatest risk, when they would otherwise be lost, the International Fund for Animal Welfare is there, taking action to rescue the animals we love, to protect them and their threatened natural habitats. But the danger to animals the world over is growing, and the need for your help has never been more urgent. 
On land, you'll help stop poachers from threatening and killing elephants and big cats for the illegal wildlife trade. In the oceans, you'll help rescue dolphins, whales, and seals from deadly hazards. And you'll help rescue, rehabilitate, and release vulnerable animals when disasters strike. Here at home and around the world, we can't do this work without you. See how you can help animals and people thrive together at joinifall.org. It sounds pretty good. It's it sounds like, real, it's dude. Not bad, huh? This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Greetings, uh, Lemon Opec here uh, for this three hours every Saturday, every Sunday, uh, where we dig deep into the affairs of the day with some pretty deep people. Uh, with me today here on TNT, the home of free speech, is the man who promotes free speech in the UK and beyond. It's Andrew Allison, the chief executive officer of the Freedom Association, uh, which has been knocking around for over half a century now, Andrew. Uh, a bit like you and me, to be honest. <laughs> We've been yes, around the blocks, too. Um how old are you, by the way? I'm 52, 53 oh. in a few weeks' time. Yeah. You're just a young man. I'm five years ahead of me of you. I still remember when we did have freedom of speech. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> before the break, we were talking about uh, the current crop of, of political leaders, and you felt that they're not up to the job of reforming politics for the better, in my view, of reforming free speech. I totally agree with you. Here's my theory. I promised you on and see what you think of this. When I first became a member of parliament, I thought that we should have a political class, people who did nothing else apart from work full time as politicians. I've done a 180 degree U-turn on that. And here's why. I think that the problem we've now got is career politicians, people who haven't done anything else. People like Nick Clegg, who ruined the party that I used to be an MP for. David Cameron, Keir Starmer, who sort of did other things, but frankly, being a lawyer is pretty much the same as being a politician. So we don't have captains of industry. We don't have individuals who actually have a stake in the game of the general public. They're not performance related in pay, and they haven't been out in the real world. And I think that's what's gone wrong. These people couldn't make it in the real world because they're not business people. They're often not very empathic. So now we are cursed with the very thing I thought we needed, which was political professionals. That's my theory. What do you think? You don't have to agree with me. Well, I do agree with you because because I've I've long said that the less time MPs spend in Parliament, sort of buggering up the world, really, and buggering up the country, uh, and and the more time that they actually do spend in the real world, the better. And of course, you are correct. Margaret Thatcher was was a chemist initially. I think she went became a, a lawyer as well at uh, at one point. Um, Norman Tebbit, after his time in the in the RAF, uh, became an airline pilot. And indeed, ironically, um, people might laugh about this, thinking about Norman Tebbit, but he was he was a, a union official for the Airline uh, Pilots Association. But there were the people all around who who have been involved in 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 business, uh, you know. And I was self-employed for quite a long time before I came to work for you know full time in politics. You know, I, I had life experiences. Now it's the it's the other way around. It's, it's as if people sort of go out of university, be work for a political party, or become a spad or something like that. Do a little bit of work in 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 public affairs, go back into government, get 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 selected, and then elected as an MP, and then that's it. And sometimes these political careers are, are over before you know it. I, I mean, look at uh, Deanna Davison. You know, she came in as the as the Conservative Party uh, member of Parliament for for my hometown of Bishop Auckland, uh, where I used to live, where I was brought up. Um, when she was in her mid twenties, I think she's about thirty now, thirty one, and she's decided to throw the towel. 
Uh, I mean, it's that they're doing it completely the wrong way around. The idea is you get experience before you become a parliamentarian, not the other way around. Uh, but 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 this is what it's like. It's the idea that you could go into Parliament at 16 or 18 or 21 and represent 100,000 people with all of their problems, mm. it just beggars belief. Uh, I actually used to be the youth uh, spokesperson for the Liberal Democrats. And was a few years ago, the, right? Well, yeah, I was actually, I was too old to do the job, but I did it anyway. <laughs> uh, and I do think it does make sense that if you're old enough to join the army and old enough to pay tax, you should have the vote because otherwise you're, you're paying tax for something you can't influence. But the idea that at that age you can actually make informed decisions about war or COVID or the economy, frankly, the grown-ups can't do economy. Uh, and it's just it's just awful because what we've now got is children running the country uh, in this bun fight that they think is sensible. I wasn't very keen on Margaret Thatcher, but there's no doubt, as you said before, she was a big beast. She stood tall on, on the world stage and arguably the greatest special relationship in living memory was Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan. Whether you agreed with the politics or not wasn't the point. Britain and America mm -hmm. have never been that close, I think. Uh, so if this is the problem, what's the solution? Fire them? Vote them out? Well, it has to be vote them out, I suppose, at some 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 point. But of course, getting rid of many of them is very difficult because they're in extremely safe seats. I mean, I know we, we try to work out what a safe seat is at the moment in this current uh, political climate, but undoubtedly many of them still are. Uh, and they're not going to get removed very easily, let, let me put it that way. But I mean, I did mention before the break that you need to let the, the local associations in the in the Conservative Party, the um, constituency Labour parties, uh, um, and also for, for, for the Liberal Democrats as well, uh, you need to let them have much more of a, of a choice uh, and actually getting the people in that they want. So, so many in the big parties, certainly, are just imposed on on those on those local associations they said well you must interview this person he's been a special advisor you must uh, you know you must interview that person because he's worked at uh, a party headquarters um and then we'll you, you can choose another two or three other people and the pressure goes on to the associations to select the people that they're told to select uh, and who were also on the approved candidates list so if you've upset your party in one way or another, if you've been critical of your party, if you're one of these people who says, I think this party should go in a different direction, well, that's your political career as far as parliament is concerned over for a while because they will never select you. They will never put you on that candidate's list. So that's where I think it needs it needs to be. And, and this idea that you can just get someone, say, from London, just to parachute it into a, to a safe seat in another part of the country, it's just completely wrong. I'm not saying that, that uh, uh, MPs should live in their constituency, but they should at least have an affinity for the constituency. They should at least have an appreciation of, of what the problems are for their potential constituents. Uh, and so many of them, uh, of course, uh, do not. Stay with us, Andrew Allison, because you're going to get your day in a few minutes' time. You're going to redesign British politics the Freedom Association way. 
and who knows you might get some new members too uh, i wonder what do you think as well uh, go to the chat uh have your say if i've been pretty busy i'll have a look at the channel in a minute and see if uh, i can read some of your comments out but to go to tnt and you can find the chat there there's always a fascinating dialogue with some really well-informed people there as well i praise you all for being at the right place the home of free speech this is the lempotopic show this is tnt de-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective what is tnt about well, it seems to be in line with what I try to be about, telling the truth. The truth is very, very important. Let's put it this way. The pursuit of the truth is very, very important. So if you hide the truth, distort the truth, look at things at only one angle so you don't see the other angles, how can you possibly get to the solution? What is truth? Well, water freezes at 32. The sun rises in the east. A new study that's coming out is claiming, once again, that the rapid rise of sea surface temperatures is being caused by man-made emissions. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. If you're going to heat a pot of water, do you use a sun lamp, do you use a blow dryer, or do you use a stove? If the stove was turned off and then it was turned on, what do you think is going to happen to the pot of water? If you actually look at what's been going on with sea surface temperatures, they began to increase when there was an increase in underwater volcanic activity. Now, the solar scientists, and I'm very good friends with a lot of them, keep saying we're going into a grand solar minimum. Well, that may be fine, but the temperature keeps rising. Why would it keep rising? If you cannot attribute it to a natural driver, then it must be man-made. Do you believe it's man-made? Well, why would something like the atmosphere warm up the ocean when the ocean has more energy? So we're pursuing the truth here. I may not be right, I believe I'm right, but believing it's knowing are two different things, but you have to be in pursuit of the truth. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. This is the Lembit Opic Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Greetings, the Lembit Opic Show, three hours every Saturday, three hours every Sunday. Uh, I'm with Andrew Allison from the Freedom Association, uh, which is fighting for free speech wherever you are in the world. A lot of comments coming in. Thanks, everyone. You're very lively today. Uh, we've been talking about politicians in the United Kingdom and beyond. Uh, and... Uh, there's some fairly uh, acerbic criticism of our politicians. Let me put it that way. Um, some of the comments really suggest that uh, there's, for example, Skippy says there's been a marked increase in politicos who were previously liars. I mean, lawyers. Thanks very much for that, Skippy. There's a film with, uh, uh, I forget, um, with Jim Carrey, I think, about that. Uh, it's called, um, I think it's called Liar, actually, or something like that. Uh, a lot of agreement with that. Um, what's the standard pay now, asks River. It's actually over £80,000. Yeah, it's about £87,000. Skippy adds also ex-bankers get shoehorned into politics to carry out their master's bidding. I did see that when I was there. And Andrew previously pointed out that in order to get on, you have to conform. And I saw that in, in my party, the Liberal Democrats, and I could see the others doing the same thing. So you'd have this sort of conversation, Andrew, in the members' tea room where you'd say, you don't believe all this rubbish about climate change. And they say, of course not, Lambert, but I can't say so. 
Why not? Because I want mm. to be a minister. And so we've got this horrendous club set where mm. if you break the rules, if you dare to not just think for yourself, but speak out, then you're regarded as a dangerous maverick. And I don't think that's very healthy, Andrew. No, it's it's not very healthy. Um, but I mean, I'm going to I'm going to take one MP in particular, and I'm not singling him out because I particularly dislike him because I don't. But it's Matt Warman, who is the Conservative MP for Boston and Skegness. Now, before he was selected as a Conservative candidate, he used to be on the executive of an organisation called Conservative Way Forward, which is a, a Thatcherite organisation on the right of the party. So anyone who was interviewing him for selection could reasonably think that this person is, is representing the right of the party. And if the local association in Boston and Skegness, for example, uh, wanted someone from the right of the party, which believe me, they do uh, in, in, in that particular part of Lincolnshire, yeah, they thought we'll go for Matt Warman. This was the constituency a year after he was elected in 2016, which voted for Brexit more than any other constituency in the United Kingdom. It was close to 75%. Matt Warmans came out and said, I'm opposed to Brexit. So, so he's immediately, immediately um, not, not, not in line with what his voters think. He's now come out as what we call a one nation conservative. They like to call themselves the moderates, but really what they are is just to the left of the, of the conservative party. Now, if this was the United States, there would be open primaries before every election. And people could choose to ditch their sitting um, MP or they could choose to keep their MP for that particular party before uh, a general election. And I think that uh, that is one way of reforming it is by having open primaries because it tends to keep those members of parliament honest and in tune with what their constituents want. Now, I know that you know Edmund Burke going back in the day, said that you know, they, were, they were not sort of there just to vote exactly as their constituents wanted them to. They, they had to exercise their judgment. And I agree, but it's, but it's amazing how they will exercise their judgment in a certain way if their political career depends on it, even in a safe seat. What I've noticed to compound the offence, if you like, Andrew, is the uni party. It's a phrase which has gained currency here in the United Kingdom. And it means that Labour and Conservative are basically the same. They both uh, continue with this climate change myth, and it is a myth. If ever I've seen the perversion of science, it's the claim that human beings are so powerful that they're causing runaway global warming. But you can't separate the Tories from Labour on that. It's just a race to the bottom, and who, who can make the stupidest economic uh, decision? Uh, and we've seen the, the steel industry now go down. It seems to me as a direct result of the ridiculous um pariahing of of coal-fired uh furnaces and then if you look at it this way andrew you could swap rishi sunak and keir starmer into each other's party to lead them and it wouldn't seem strange that's mm. not the labor party and the conservative party that i saw 40 years ago so no. is is it the fact that the uni party means that there isn't a choice anymore in this country well, I don't think there's much of a choice, no, um, at, at all. Uh, and of course, with first past the post electoral system, um, it's very difficult for smaller parties, as you know, with the Liberal Democrats or with the Liberal Party before then, 
it's very difficult for those parties to to, to make any form of uh, of significant breakthrough. I, mean, I think the only time that First Past the Post has delivered the most dramatic results was was back in the early nineties in Canada, when the Conservative Party there went from the party of government down to about two or three seats. Uh, absolutely incredible. But I think the chances of that happening in in, in the UK are uh, uh, extremely slim to non non existent. Having said that. The Reform Party is starting to to rise in, in the polls, um, and everyone here is waiting for our friend Nigel Farage to see whether he's deciding to to put his hat back in the ring again and and and, and lead that party. Now, if he can get that party up to around about twenty percent, not only will he he will will he help remove a lot of Conservative MPs, there is a small chance at that point that he could get uh, elected uh, members of Parliament for reform. Uh, but I can understand why people want to vote for reform. And, and this idea that the Tories are using now, completely negative, which is if you vote for reform, you will get Labour. But the voters are saying, we, we don't give a damn. We can't see much of a difference between them. We don't like either of you, a plague on both your houses. So it doesn't really make any difference to us whether we get a Labour government or a Conservative government, because if we elect a Conservative government, we're not going to get a Conservative government. And in all fairness to the people on the left, if they vote Labour, they're not really going to get a Labour government either. It's going to be this wishy-washy centrist nonsense. I, I uh, have predicted before, and I'll do it again, uh, and I think others are saying this too now, the strength of reform is to actually achieve the punishment beating that a lot of mm. people want to give the Tories. So essentially what the Conservatives are saying to their own disillusioned voters, if you really want to teach us a lesson, vote reform. And mm. the voters are saying, you're going to lose anyway, so I might as well. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. uh, and, and, and I have to say that the charisma of politics certainly plays a big part when it comes to Nigel Farage. He, whether you like him or not, he is hugely charismatic. And a bit like Donald Trump in America, he appeals to people who don't like politicians. So my guess is that the Reform Party's great opportunity is to create the reset that so many people want. Uh, because if the Tories do go down to, I would say, a minimum of 99 seats, more likely about 165, then there's a real chance for a realignment, a sensible libertarian realignment. Now, that presumably would be something that you would hope for. Well, it's something I would hope for, that, but, but, but I must say that uh, when you look at the safest conservative seats in the country, so those who are likely to, uh, to survive this sort of holocaust, um, um, well, they tend to be um, more to the left of the Conservative Party. They're not libertarian, they're not classically liberal. And a lot of the people who you see now who are classically liberal are those who are sitting in much more marginal seats. So I, I, I literally, I, 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 I don't know whether whether that will work. I, I hope I hope that it will work. But I do think that, um, and I say this to all my Conservative Party friends, and I still am a member of the Conservative Party for for, for, for the record. That I think the party needs a bloody good drubbing in the polls. It really, really needs a rout there. And it needs to look at itself because you look at the conservative backbenchers, particularly that one nation group, and they're just not in tune with what the British people want, Lembit. They don't think it. I mean, immigration is an example. People want this mass immigration to stop in the UK for a variety of reasons, not racist reasons, just practical reasons. Um, you, people, people want a, a well-run economy. They, 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 they want lower taxes. Um, they want a whole load of things that they're not getting 
from the current Conservative Party and they're unlikely to get from the Labour Party too. Yes, uh, there's a lot of chat going on here. Uh, Chris uh, uh, Silla says the temperature is rising because the tectonic plates are moving, question mark. That's a good scientific point. You don't get the semblance of that kind of debate in Parliament because the uni party tells us there's a climate emergency. And on that basis, they're willing to wreck the steel industry. They're willing to not cut our carbon dioxide emissions, which I don't think we need to do anyway, but just export them to other countries yes. and then buy back the products and then complain because China's carbon dioxide footprint's going up. Well, that's because they're making our stuff and no one seems well, exactly. to see this. I, I, I know. And, and, and the UK will, will become the only industrialised nation on this planet who will not be able to make steel from scratch, virgin steel. We'll only be able to use in the, uh, uh, the we create sort of old steel, isn't it? You know, so sort of scrap steel and put it all back into in, into the furnace again and come out with stuff. We will not be able to make it from from scratch anymore. Whilst, as you say, we import it from from, from elsewhere in the world, particularly China. It's 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 utter madness. Uh, and and you know, people can criticise Tata Steel, and I I, I do have my criticisms of Tata. I mean, they they're, they're willing to take five hundred million pounds worth of taxpayers' money, for example. But it is the government that is driving this problem. If the government wasn't driving and just kept out of the way, we wouldn't be in this situation. The government is giving roughly a tenner for every person, every adult in Britain to Tata Steel because of their idiotic mm. environmental policies. Not Tata, they're just mm. following the rules. Uh, and, and for no benefit. I think what's happening here, Andrew, is you and I are whipping ourselves up into an angry mob. Uh, so <laughs> what? Well, if we are the angry mob, give us hope. What would your pathway to redemption be for the United Kingdom and actually for many other Western uh, democracies, which seem to be mired in the same malaise, including, I would suggest, the United States of America? Well, I will say to, to, to our politicians that you need to wake up to what the people actually want and what the people are saying. You don't have to look far. Look what's happening in Europe. There's high levels of immigration in Europe as well, for example, and people are getting... Uh, well, they're fuming mad about this and, and they're turning to people. I mean, people think that Nigel Farage, for example, is some evil demagogue on, on the right, which is what some people think. Well, A, he's not, but B, you ain't seen nothing yet because there's going to be some horrible people coming through, some genuinely nasty people coming through um, because that, that they will be the only people that the voters think that they can turn to. So listen to the public, start, start being in tune. Uh, but I think, as I said before, the Conservative Party probably needs a wipeout. Uh, we need a few years of, uh, of Labour government. Um, it is perfectly possible that that Labour government could crash and burn, particularly on the on the immigration issue. That's that, that, that's perfectly possible. But I just want parties to take back control again at a local level. Uh, and I want people who are entering Parliament to, to have actually some life experience, uh, genuinely run, run their own business, had a career, had a you know distinguished service at the bar or anything, um, but they need to do something before they come into in, into parliament. And I really think that that is the only way it's going to change. Uh, Hidden in plain sight has a simpler solution. Uh, Hidden in plain sight says 
Hang them high and the main ones higher. Crimes against humanity. Not sure that's part of the Freedom Association's agenda. Uh, uh, and, and hidden in plain sight. It's a revolving door. They always get the jobs that perpetuate the system. Uh, would you think about becoming a member of parliament? Oh, I did years ago, but not now. Um, I, re I, I really wouldn't want to do it now. Uh, and also, you know, as I said, I'm, I'm almost 53. But by the time it came to another general election, I, if I was lucky enough to get myself uh, selected for, for a winnable seat, I, you know, I'd be, I'd be pushing 60. And I, I really think well, that is the time when I want to start taking life easier, not, not doing it. And I also probably wouldn't do it for my family either. I don't really want them to have the sort of scrutiny that, uh, that that they would get. You know, I remember Tony Blesson. I know that's different. He was prime minister, but Ewan, when he was a when he was I think a university student, he he was found in the gutter. He had too much to drink, mm. and yet the, all the newspapers are reporting on the fact that a student has had too much to drink and was found in the gutter. Not really breaking <laughs> news, is it? And I remember what Tony Blair said. Oh, just give him a break. He's a good kid at heart. And I thought, I can, yes, exactly. You know, um, but but you know, you go into politics, your family gets that scrutiny as well, yeah. and your life isn't your own, is it? And it's got worse now, from far worse. It's not the job that I started in 1997. How can people find out more about the Freedom Association, Andrew? Go to our website, uh, www.tfa.net. That's TFA for the Freedom Association. Find out all sorts of information uh, there about what our campaigns are, how you become a member, become a patron of the association. Um, everything is on there. It's our shop window to the world. Thank you, Andrew. Really great to see you. We'll have you back pretty soon. You've heard what Andrew Allison, who is a big gun when it comes to your free speech, has to say. Join the chat. A lot of free thinking people uh, in the chat. Just go to the TNT website and you'll find it all there. Coming up in the next hour, we will be talking with a human potential expert on broadly the same theme. What does it take to be a great politician and why aren't those people in politics or maybe they are maybe i just missed them uh you can have your say as well as i say on the chat and if you've got questions for nick dark then do put them into the chat if i've got time then i'll uh i'll read them out and if you want to call in as well you'll find the phone numbers there as well and we've got two packed hours coming up here on the lembitopic show hope you're enjoying the offering the home of free speech is tnt my show is the lembitopic show see you in a minute